0: Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. And we'll also turn in our hymnals, the back of our hymnals, to page 932. Page 932. I was planning on only preaching on two verses of this chapter. However, I've become convicted that what follows in verses 13 and 14 follow the main theme of what's going on throughout the entire chapter. So let's we'll look at the entire chapter of Isaiah 58, starting at verse uh, one. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just, for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. Why do you fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high? Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast? Here's where we want to focus on, starting verse 6 and following is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, Your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking of wickedness, and you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will arise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from whom... um, among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will rise up, you will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If, because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and honorate, desisting from your own ways and seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's uh, look at Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21. This is of religious worship and the Sabbath day. This is section 8, the last section. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would help us to heed this, your word, to learn how we ought to keep the Sabbath in a way that is a delight, and that by doing so that you would bless your people. Help us, we pray, to be those who participate in repairing the breaches of the wall. Help us, we ask, for we pray these things In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. In Isaiah 58, there is a, um, in verse 12, if you look at verse 12 here, it mentions the age-old foundations, and it mentions being called a repairer of the breach. A breach is like a gap in the wall, uh, maybe where somebody has, um, maybe with a battering ram broken down part of the wall and then enemies can get in Well, how would we say that the church has a breach in the wall it could be theological liberalism in some churches it could be uh, unrepentant sin or, or other ways that there could be breaches in the wall for some especially mentioned in the church in Ephesus in Revelation they had a faith that had grown cold they had a love for the Lord but then their love you could say their love for God had grown cold. Revelation 2 uh, 1 and following. But then, as we go back and we read a little bit uh, further back in verses 6 through 7, God speaking through Isaiah gives very practical ways that the people of God were to devote themselves to helping repair this breach. Look at verse 6. He says, Is this not the fast? You could say, Is this not the true act of devotion? which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Um, Think about that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? The gospel is what breaks the yoke of sin. And ultimately what we have to do is go about telling others how that they can have that yoke of sin broken where they could be freed from e- eternal damnation. That's an important part, I believe. I think that's an important part of uh, how we can repair the breach. It's not just the ministers. It's not just elders or deacons. Every Christian ought to have a great desire to see that freedom of Jesus Christ being um, something that, we're, that the lost receive. We should be zealous... Uh, of sharing the good news with others, but also zealous in praying for the lost that God would redeem them and convert them. God calls us to worship Him in a way that's only through one mediator, and that's namely Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Timothy 2 5. The, the only way that we could throw off the bands of the yoke of sin is through that mediator, Jesus Christ, that one and only true mediator for sin. So after having laid this foundation of the gospel, I believe there in in verse 6, verse 7 talks about some foundational ministries a church can go about. Is it not, in other words, this act of true fasting or devotion, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him? and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is the same thing that Christ says in the New Testament. Let your light shine before men. Don't hide it in a under a basket. You want to have your light shine in this dark world, and one of the things that God calls us to do is to minister to those in need. And that, that's something that I'm, I'm thankful that uh, the church, at least at this point, has when we have people call and ask for help, we try to keep in touch with them. We, we ask them to come and to visit. Some have actually come and they'll worship with us, and then after church, we'll talk to them and see if there's any help that we can give. And uh, I think it's better than just saying, oh, well, people just want money, and we're just not going to even give them time of day. But if someone comes, and they're willing to sit through, uh, come and worship with us, maybe Sunday evening, talk to the deacons afterwards, we should be willing to help. And... I'm thankful that we have been able to do that as a church. Um, focusing on verse 12, though it goes on in Isaiah 58, it talks about rebuilding the ancient ruins. This is God's prescription on how the church is to rebuild the, uh, the gaps in the wall. Rebuild the ancient ruins, uh, raise up the age-old foundations, be called a repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Um, The blessing of the nearness of God um, that satisfies our desires and strengthens our bones does so when we are faithful, I believe, in keeping the Sabbath day holy. So this verse 12, I believe, flows into what follows in verses 13 and 14. If we have a church and we, we want our church to be strengthened, we want our church to be um, built up. We want the foundations to be laid. Um, there are a lot of people that I think would would be. <laughs> I think it would be helpful for them to find that the foundation is keeping the Sabbath day holy. Let's look again at uh, this in light of the confession. Um, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 21. Actually, that's a typo there. So chapter 21, section 8, says that this Sabbath then is kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand. Now, what's that saying here? is that one of the ways in keeping the Sabbath is by preparing. Two things. Due preparation of our hearts. Secondly, a preparing or of taking care of the common or worldly affairs beforehand. Um, maybe you've heard this before, but I, I actually met some Christians that would practice keeping the Sabbath from Saturday at sundown to Sunday at sundown. In other words, on Saturday night, when the sun went down, that's when the Sabbath started. And then when the sun went down on Sunday night, that's when the Sabbath ended for them. We don't typically do that. We kind of we go full bore. Sometimes we work until midnight. Sometimes midnight becomes past midnight. And then we go to sleep, and then we, we don't have hardly any time to prepare our hearts to come into worship in God's house. But the benefit of going from sundown to sundown is it gives us time for a, a more of a spiritual preparation, so which way, whichever way you do it, if you want to do it from midnight to midnight or from sundown to sundown, or you even set a time eight pm to eight p.m Saturday to eight pm Sunday. the benefit again is that our worship ends around the time of sundown right now because of the longer days of summer, not so, but during the winter it 's a little bit different so again the that does give us a benefit of preparing our hearts to have that type of practice. So maybe you could consider that for you and your family. Um, One of the great nemesis, uh, a great nemesis in keeping the Sabbath, and I know this is sometimes hard for some folks here, and they they use this as a, a way of saying, well, we have a hard time coming to evening worship because we got a lot going on on Monday i got paperwork to turn in on Monday. i got to get up very early for work on Monday. It's too hard for me to come and to worship the Lord on Sunday evening. Well, uh, one thing I loved about seminary was that our professors made a point of never giving assignments that were due on Mondays, never giving an exam on Mondays. I think that's a fabulous thing. Wouldn't it be great if we had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of churches that would do some similar practices? Well, sometimes though, if you don't have an employer or a school or whatever that has that sort of practice, you have to take a sacrifice for the Lord on a Saturday. And it takes a sacrifice and it takes a lot of determination to not procrastinate, to spend time on a Saturday and say, I'm going to do work on homework on Saturday. I'm going to do the paperwork for my job on Saturday. I'm going to do whatever I can on Saturday so I can enjoy my Sabbath, and I can go to both church services. That's a sacrifice. But it's a, it's a sacrifice that I believe is pleasing in God's sight, if we are willing to do that. And that's, that's a preparation of what we can call the common or worldly affairs beforehand. A uh, couple of side notes. If you're going to cook and you're going to have fellowship. Uh, maybe don't drive yourself crazy and having five or six different uh, having two sides a salad and uh, a meat or maybe even uh, all this other stuff maybe just do one get a big slow cooker out and put together one thing and prepare that for Sunday even if you're having guests over they could be satisfied with one dish can't they? you can prepare for Sabbath in that regard um, again, it takes great sacrifice and a diligent effort not to procrastinate in preparing. Again, we don't want to continue doing this grind until midnight and be so worn out we have no time of either spiritual or physical preparation of any sort. So section 8 goes on. It says, after you, you prepare your hearts and after you take care of these worldly affairs, it says that you do not only observe an holy rest all the day, from their own works, uh, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Okay, this language in this part of the confession comes clearly from verse 13 of Isaiah 58 it says because of the Sabbath if you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it desisting from your own ways and seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own words it's so the language in the confession follows almost exactly Follows very closely with what we find in Isaiah uh, fifty eight thirteen, um, desisting. That's a word we don't use very much. I think it might even be a military term somewhat. Um, the ESV I like the translation a little bit better. It says not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly. I think that's a very faithful translation of what's here in the Hebrew. Another uh, view, uh, uh, well, before I move on, I want to mention that the view that the Confession has, and what we just read, which is also in Isaiah uh, 58, 13, is basically the Puritan view. It's the same thing as the Scottish Presbyterian view. Now, there's another view that's found in other Reformed churches, and it's called the Continental view. And it goes like this. It says that any recreation that does not interfere with worship is fine. If it's a recreation, as long as it doesn't interfere with worship, it's okay. So they might say, well, if you want, as long as you can make, make it to both worship services, you go play ball, baseball, whatever, uh, go, to, go to a game, go do whatever, Go even go see a movie, as long as you can go back and make it to worship again. That's, that's considered the continental view. That might be a little bit extreme, but most of them... Would, would say that as long as the recreation of what one does doesn't interfere with worship, it's okay. Work is not allowed, though, in the continental view. Um, I don't see how you can find that. I don't see how you can practice that from Isaiah 58, uh, verse 13. Isaiah 58, verse 13, clearly seems to say that we, we don't do a recreation of many sorts because that would be involving um, seeking our own pleasure, our own words, our own ways, things that uh, the confession as well uh, doesn't approve. I do believe that many people probably, even in American Presbyterianism, even in the OPC, who profess to uphold, even church officers, who uphold the confession, they often in practice or more like a continental view rather than a Reformed or Presbyterian view. Now, here's my take on this. Does it mean, does this, this passage from Isaiah and does this confession mean that you can do nothing pleasant or enjoyable on the Sabbath? Does it mean you have to be miserable? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go home and I'll, I can do nothing but look at a book or watch something religious or <coughs> listen to Christian music or whatever I have to pray I I can't do anything pleasant well one it's mentioned here that there are deeds of necessity and deeds of mercy that are allowable and one of the things that I find is very pleasant that's also a deed of necessity is eating on the Lord's days. and so sometimes you have to have you have to have meals and one of the greatest things you could do on this Holy Sabbath is invite friends invite family invite neighbors Invite people to your home in fellowship. What a great day for fellowship is on the Holy Sabbath. It's, an, it's a deed of necessity because you have to eat, but also God, I believe, blesses that on his holy day. Let's look at a couple of uh, ways that we could make that um, something that is pleasing in God's sight. Um, well, on, a, on a side note, if I have available time, even if it's on a Friday, on a Thursday, or another day other than Sunday. I, I th- that's something that I would love to do, is invite company over and have, have that uh, ability to do some sort of fellowship. Uh, in Florida, one of the practices in the churches is that on Sunday evening, they would get together and they would go to someone's house. If it was a little chilly, they would light a fire, and they would all gather together in fellowship outside, around the fire. Uh, on a chilly day in Florida, during I guess during the fall and all in this early spring, um, you can get together. You can have a meal together. You can have coffee, teas, um, other beverages. Some people like to have. Um, this is something that's necessary for our youth. Our youth need to be fellowshipping and, and having time with with other people in the church to get to know them instead of them being on devices or some sort of electronic devices. That, that just gets in the way of, this, of them uh, getting to have a strong relationship with people in the church. Um, having people in your home can be a means of evangelism. You can talk to people about the gospel. You can witness the gospel. You can disciple others while around the table. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a personal story. When I first joined well, I wasn't even a member but when I first entered the home of a Presbyterian minister, he had a somewhat humble house. but his wife had she had a love for dishes, and she had beautiful dishes and collection of dishes. and um, I remember she had some furniture and she had pewter and stuff like that. And I, I guess I was borderline monk at the time. And I, I went in that house, and I kind of judged him. I said, "Well, oh, they're kind of worldly, all this, look at all this fine stuff. Maybe I wanted to be like St. Francis and live in a cave or something. I, you know." But I, I basically had a judging of that pastor and his family the first time I went in that house, and it was not fair. Well, after about three years of them inviting me in their home as a single college student, for three years, very oftentimes twice on Sunday after morning worship, after Sunday evening worship, I didn't think that they were that worldly. I thought they were the most loving people ever. And one time I felt so bad for this man's poor wife who seemed to be abused in preparing food for all of these college students that I didn't show up. Instead, I stayed home and made an egg sandwich. And uh, (laughs) later on, he came up to me and he told me, he said, you know, no one should spend the Lord's Day alone. And that really affected me. And um, I I would say that that was one of the things that really brought me into the Presbyterian Church. Um, I I visited a lot of other churches. I was part of uh, Assemblies of God. I was part of uh, various other churches. And I didn't have that kind of love and outreach and that kind of hospitality. But God used that as a way to bring... This, uh, this Catholic uh, college student into the Presbyterian Church. So again, uh, hospitality on the Lord's Day can be a means of witnessing and discipleship and breaking down barriers. When we keep the Sabbath, think of it as this. It's not just, I, I'm going to sin if I don't keep it. Think of yourself as trying to rebuild the foundations we're going to try to repair the breach in the wall, the gaps in the wall, by doing something that God is pleased with. And one of the ways is delighting yourself in the Sabbath and finding ways to do it in a way that's pleasing to Him. And God offers you this He offers you His blessing when you obey. Just like He did in these other passages, He talks about God watering us like a garden. God uh, strengthening our bones. But here's the blessing of keeping the Sabbath in verse 14. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God blesses us for that. Sort of obedience for that. If you delight yourself in His day, and you delight yourself in worship, He blesses, doesn't He? And honestly, with my preparation for my exams, I probably have not. Well, not probably. I have not been diligent in trying to have faith, uh, company over and fellowship at my home on Sundays. But that's one of the things that I really, really want to get back to as a practice in this church. And I think that would be something that we. As a church, you try to practice as well. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, well, we thank you for your Holy Sabbath. And we thank you especially for Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. That because of Christ, you have allowed us uh, to be freed from the bands of the, of the yoke of sin. That we no longer have to be oppressed from sin and sorrow. and but Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of the world unto yourself to be a holy people. And we do pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would help us to be uh, those who bear forth much fruit. Help us to be fruitful in our outreach. Help us to be fruitful in keeping your Sabbath day holy, in delighting in this wonderful day and making it a day of delight and fellowship one, one, of, uh, one in which the saints can delight in, in one another. And Lord, help us in these things, for we ask it in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We have a hymn uh, that I want us to sing together, 158, that talks about a beautiful rendition of the Holy Sabbath. 158, I'm sorry, 154, This day at thy created, creating word. Let's sing together 154.